How we doing, Kuhau? I would, I would teach on patience, but I lost it coming here. It took me two hours and 20 minutes to drive from Queens to Staten Island. We're going to pray for all those bike people that didn't come to church. Uh, anybody here from Brooklyn? Did you, were you stuck in it? You already here, okay. All right, well, God bless you. And those that didn't, uh, didn't come and you're watching online, um, I don't know, is that, is that cool? Are we cool with that? Are we cool with that? We're cool with that. Uh, it is good to be here. Um, two hours and 20 minutes, five hours, doesn't matter. I love being here. I love being with uh, this church. I love being with your pastors. Uh, I really do. I really do love uh, the Remedio family. Like, we're like legit. Were we family? I think we're family. Um, I wasn't going to say this, but uh, it's good to have people in your life that you can be vulnerable with and talk to. Um, I think it, it helps you be better. Um, I think this life is way too tough to do alone. And so I'm grateful that I have your pastors in my life, people that I can call and I can talk to and um, get some stuff out and uh, get some stuff off my chest. And uh, they could yell at me, of course, and say, no, that's not how you're supposed to think and correct me and pray for me. But um, I love you guys. We're, we're running this race together, right? We, wanna, we want them to win. We want you guys to win. I think today's going to be a great day. Um, I want us... Uh, I want us to uh, go to another level today. I don't want anyone leaving the same way we walked in here. I want us leaving differently, including myself. Uh, I, I, I believe this is the word of the Lord for today. I actually had the honor of preaching at uh, our church, our home church, Saints Church, uh, and they all say hello. Um, and I preached a different message, and I just didn't feel to preach that message when I came. I felt that this was the message that I was uh, supposed to get into. And uh, I pray that at the end of this service that we will experience some Jesus ministry, that we will experience Jesus in a completely uh, different way. So we'll step into and step further into our calling that uh, we will want to be on fire and stay on fire uh, for Jesus. I pray that you'll be encouraged. I pray that you get a deeper revelation of who he is because when you know who he is, then you get a deeper revelation for who you are. And when you know who you are, you live differently. Ready? Ready? Okay. You're awesome. I'll call you up in a second. I'll need you. You make me sound better. No, 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 you make me sound better. But... Hey, uh, every January rolls around, right? And we make New Year's resolutions. Anybody? Anybody fails January 2nd? I, I'm supposed to be like 60 pounds lighter right now. I'm supposed to be buff and um, obviously, obviously, obviously that didn't happen, but uh, we get personal on January 1st, right? We're like, we make, we make personal decisions. Like, like we're, we, 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 get, we get aggressive about it. We're like, we gotta do something. We look in the mirror, uh, we look at our checkbook, we look at the bank account. We're like, man, we gotta make some aggressive changes uh, in our routine and in our lives. And we start a lot of things, start a lot of things. We start eating better, 
We start saving money. We say we're going to start reading a book a month. We, uh, we start, uh, uh, right? Anybody? Uh, we start like setting goals. Uh, we, start, we start doing some things to set goals to, to kind of do proper maintenance on ourselves uh, and who God's called us to be uh, and for our houses. We do a lot of stuff. We, there's like maintenance that goes on January 1st. We, we take a, an inventory of what of who we are and what we have, and we're like, man, I've got to do better. So we start a lot of things. We start a lot of new habits, but it's not just about starting some things. It's also about stopping some things, stopping some bad habits, stopping some things that may have even started off as good, but now they're hurting us, stopping some things that take up too much room in our lives so that we can start better things. We got to start paying attention to our surroundings and environments and patterns and stop some things that are keeping us in a destructive loop. We, we need to look at the triggers in our lives and stopping those things that get us. We got to be aware of, be aware of our environment. Our environment matters, guys. You're not eating pizza at the gym. You're not. Your environment matters. You're not getting drunk at church. You're not, uh, you're not watching pornography in a small group. We, we got to figure out where are we when we're making bad decisions and cut that stuff off. Like our environment matters. What are we doing when we're alone? What are we doing when we're in certain situations, when with, with certain people? And we got to cut some of that stuff off. We've got to watch what we listen to uh, and we got to watch what we watch on TV. Who we hang out with matters. Friends that are dieting, dieting make it easier for us to lose weight. Friends that are in love with Jesus make it easier for us to love Jesus. Company matters. Watch who you're surrounding yourself. Environment matters. So let's pay attention. We got to stop some things to start some better things so we could walk in the fullness that God has for us. We've got to change some things to get the results that we want. You can't get mad at the results that you didn't get from the work that you didn't do. Make some changes. This is between you and you. Like every morning, right, uh, you're, you're late because you keep hitting that snooze button. You got to make some aggressive changes. Like literally, I don't know about you, but my alarm clock was next to my bed. And so when it go off, I would just smack it. I literally had to take the alarm clock and put it on the other side of the room so that when, I, when the thing would go off, I literally had to get up out of bed to go turned off. And now I'm out of bed. I had to make an aggressive change. If we're spending too much money, cut up the credit card. If friends are causing us to do some things we shouldn't be doing, cut the friends off. If social media is causing us to watch certain things we shouldn't be watching, cut it off. If there are games on your phone that are causing you to spend too much time and taking away too much attention, take it off your phone, put it somewhere else. If there are some people that are negative in your life, cut them off. Sorry, not sorry. You got to start some things. You got to stop some things. And sometimes we got to get drastic with it to really make the pattern change to get the results that we want and keep those results going and going and going and going. Hey, Leviticus chapter six, the Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for the burnt offering. The burnt offering is to remain on the altar throughout the night till morning and the fire must be kept burning on the altar. 
The priest shall then put on his linen clothes with the linen undergarments next to his body and shall remove the ashes of the burnt offering that the fire has consumed on the altar and place them beside the altar. Then he is to take off these clothes and put on others and carry the ashes outside the camp to a place that is ceremonially clean. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept going on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Three times instructions, 24-7, every single morning, must not go out, keep it burning. We should always be hot, not just when the sign is lit up, hashtag Krispy Kreme, best donuts on the planet. Not just hot now, but hot, always hot. Keep it hot, keep it burning, keep it burning. Add wood every single morning, but also take away the ashes, the remains. The, the dead parts, there's, there's maintenance to keeping a fire burning. We gotta add wood, we gotta take away the ashes. Listen, ashes cause the fire to not burn as bright. Ashes take away the energy of the fire, eventually causing it to fizzle out. Ashes cause premature burnout. Ashes hinder the airflow, not allowing the fire to breathe, which ultimately hinders the fire. Ashes build up, allow less room for what's needed to keep the fire burning. And remember, the ashes were something that were once good. They're the dead parts of something that used to be useful. Add wood, take away the ashes. Add wood, take away the ashes. It's constant maintenance. If we know who we're called to be, what should we start if we know who we're called to be, what should we stop? What are the things that need to be added and taken away so the fire can keep burning? I had a car once and then I didn't. You want the backstory? You got it. I was driving my car and I, well, I got in the car and the check engine light came on and I thought I didn't have to deal with this. Now I could, I had a busy day and so I was just like, man, let me get on with the day. Let me do what I got to do and I could deal with this later. And so uh, I'm driving and now I'm in the middle of nowhere and then all of a sudden my, right, the car starts to like shake a little bit and then like cough and then scream and then like, like, like it was just like yelling at me. And then all of a sudden this smoky, luminous flame started coming out of the engine. We pulled over, had to call a tow truck, spent hours on the side of the road waiting for this thing to come. And then I was a week without a car and it cost me $2,600 for a new engine. It would have cost me $30 for an oil change. I had to get a whole new engine and then the car just wasn't working and so I had to sell the car for less than the $2,600 that I paid for the new engine. It wound up costing me more than I wanted to had I just checked, had I just listened uh, to the, the, the check engine light, the sign, the signal that was telling me not to drive it, you need maintenance on the car, go see somebody about it. It wound up costing me more than I wanted to. I just had to stop the car and add some oil. This goes for our marriages and relationships and finances, mental health, physical health, and of course, spiritual health. When we don't maintain the fire, it goes out. When we don't take care of something, it ceases to serve its purpose. It gets rusty and dry and empty and eventually breaks down and it costs us more than we want it to and I don't want it to. It takes taking care of, getting under the hood, 
routine checkups every day, every morning, putting wood on the fire, taking away the ashes. In our spiritual lives, let's be high maintenance. It takes decision and determination. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. I'm not gonna fizzle out. I'm not gonna burn out prematurely. I'm not going backwards. I'm not going back to that. I'm not going back to him. I'm not going back to her. I'm not gonna allow some of these distractions to to like cause me from getting my checkup appointment with the very one that created me and knows how I'm supposed to function, knows how I'm supposed to operate every single morning, every single morning, every single morning. Add wood, take away the ashes. You know what's funny? It, it, it's 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 between it's me and the car, right? I couldn't tell. Hey, Pastor Rowe, would you send your car over to the the? I have a busy day. Could you send your car over to the the mechanic to check out your car? It has nothing to do with his car. It's my car that had the check engine light. So he can't do it for you. This is between you and God. You got to get alone with God. Exodus chapters 36 to 39, Israel's making the tabernacle, says the men who made the tabernacle were all skilled men. If you read those chapters, go through it, uh, uh, like everywhere, uh, everywhere it said they, I underlined it with red. It says they made the table, they made the lampstand, they made the altar of incense, they made the altar of burnt offering, they made the basin for washing, they made the courtyard, they, 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 73 days. But when it comes to one piece of furniture, which was the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, which was the peace that God would meet with one man, it was God alone with that man, with the high priest, that one, it says one man made that whole piece of furniture, Bezalel, he chose Bezalel, one man. It was, it was exclusive, it was just for him, like it wasn't a bunch of days, it wasn't a bunch of people. The thing that represented the presence of God was made by one person, because it's exclusive, it's private, it's personal. No one else can meet God for you. You cannot outsource your private time. This is between you and him. You have to have alone time. You have to have the checkups. You gotta have quality control. You have to have the performance review. The checkup has to be with you and you alone. Our private life has to be strong. God has to be doing more in us than through us, our, our, our public bat prayers will never be greater than our uh, uh, private prayers. Our public battles will never be greater than our private battles. Our public struggles will never be greater than our private ones. So before we go public, we've got to go private. And you know what? You can tell when someone has had a long time with God. And guess what? You can also tell when someone hasn't. You may think that no one notices, but I promise you, they do. The evidence is there. You may not see it, but I promise you everyone else does. 2 Kings chapter 22. This is 200. Listen, I'm, I'm a nerd with Bible stuff, so uh, if you're taking notes, you should take notes. Uh, I, I'm going to go through a lot of stuff. Uh, but 2 Kings 22, this is 285 years since King David, who was the second king. He was a good king. The first king was... Saul, and he was not a good king. All throughout the Old Testament, Israel had good kings and Israel had bad kings, which usually determined by how that king led Israel spiritually. If he was a bad king, it would say he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. If he was a good king, it would say he did good in the eyes of the Lord and he tore down the idols and altars of foreign gods. Uh, out of 39 kings in Israel in 390 years, only four were really good kings. 
There were some okay kings that it says they did the right in the eyes of the Lord, uh, but they didn't tear down the idols. They didn't go all the way. They didn't get to the root of the problem. The really good kings did good in the eyes of the Lord and always destroyed the idols and foreign altars. They didn't just do good by starting and implementing good policies. They stopped some bad things too. So these idols, they go back foreign gods. They go back hundreds of years, all the way back to King Solomon, who was the third king who had 700 wives. Imagine date night. Like trying to make reservations for date night. Like, um, do you have a table for 701? Imagine marriage counseling with that, right? His trigger was foreign women. And as they should, men do things to please their wives. But he let his women come with their gods and they set up shop and they crippled generations to follow. Generations and generations dealing with his triggers until a good king came along and went to the source and cut that thing out because it was affecting the relationship with God and the effect was evident throughout the whole nation. God's first two commandments to Israel deal with relationship with him, right? God is jealous, he wants to be number one, he wants to be the king of our heart. The, the first commandment is have no other gods. The second one is do not make any graven images. Now I'm sure none of us have graven images in our houses. But an idol is anything that comes before God and we can make our phones idols, we can make relationships idols, we can make our kids idols, we can make careers idols, we can make anything idols when we're putting more attention on that than we are on God. God wants to be number one. So we gotta deal with that stuff because we don't also, not only will it affect us, but it's gonna affect the next generation and now our kids are gonna deal with our mess and our triggers and what we put first in the home. And so 2 Kings chapter 22, we come to Josiah. He's one of the four good kings. He's the great-grandson of Hezekiah, who was also a good king. He's the grandson of Manasseh, who was a horrible king, one of the worst kings. He's also uh, the son of Josiah. Uh, uh, Josiah's the, Josiah's the uh, son of Amon, another bad king, who was only king for two years, and his own staff killed him. So here comes little Josiah who takes the throne at eight years old. Little guy. He gets right to work as a young man in the eighth year of his reign. Um, so in the eighth year of his reign, if he started at eight, and now he's been king for eight years, how old is he? Ooh, you guys are good. Sweet 16. He begins to seek the Lord, and he begins looking around, and he says, man, something ain't right. This isn't the way we're supposed to be living. Something isn't right. Like, like things aren't operating and functioning how they should be. How did he know? He had a bad dad and a bad grandpa. But the Bible says he had a couple of older guys in his life that were guiding him and advising him. Can I say, man, we need some older people in our life. And I'm not talking age. I'm talking about people older in the Lord that are going to make sure that we're living right and is advising us right and saying, hey, something isn't right. We got to change some things. Who knows if Josiah would have been a good king had it not been for these two older guys that we don't even know who they are. So he's got some guys in his life. 
And now Josiah knows, hey, things need to change. Some things need to start and some things need to stop. And so he goes right to the source. He, he stops some things right away. He begins to purge Judah and Jerusalem of idols and anything that didn't belong. 16 years old. He actually kills all the priests of other religions that were hanging out in the city. And then he burns their bones on their own altars. This little dude was not playing around. He got aggressive with it. Stopping some things needs to be violent sometimes. We got to kill some things, smash some things, destroy some things. We got to disrupt the loop. We have to be radical about it, completely get rid of some things, aggressive against it. It has to be drastic and dramatic so it makes a lasting impression on us. So we'll remember and avoid going back there. I believe God is speaking to someone actually right now that you got some stuff in your life that you know you need to stop. And, and sometimes, you know, it's easy like, well, like, oh, I'll stop that when you try to fizzle it out, man, get aggressive, cut it off today, today, cut it off, stop that thing because it's only hurting you and it's only going to hurt your kids and their kids and their kids and their kids. Let's stop it now. Burn it down. 18 years into his reign, so now he's 26, and he realizes that the, the temple, the house of God, was a complete mess. It was a disaster. It was in ruins. It, was the, there was, like, it wasn't operating like it was made to. There was absolutely no maintenance going on. No wonder the temple of God, the house of God, was a complete mess. And he says, man, we need this thing back up and running. We need, we need to get this, like the building back up. And so we hire some workers and some carpenters and the masons and the builders and the stone layers. Uh, like he, he hires all these people. And then he calls over his secretary. He says, Hey, uh, his secretary's name is Shaffin. And he, he says, uh, Hey Shaffin, I need you to go over to, uh, I need you to go over to the temple and there's all these guys working over there, and I need you to go over there, and I need you to uh, 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 go pay all the guys. I need, I need you to give everybody their money because they're working. I want them to make sure that they're still working. And so, Shaf and I, I want you to take Hilkiah, the, the, the high priest, and go over to the temple of God, the house of God, and I want you to make sure everybody's good, everybody's working, everybody's paid. And, so Shaphan, the secretary, and Hilkiah, the high priest, they walk over to the temple of God, and they pay all the workers, and, and they, they do what they're supposed to do. And then somehow, I, I imagine, if I'm just imagining the story, um, Hilkiah, the high priest, and Shaphan, they're walking around this temple that used to be a thing of glory, used to be amazing, used to be operating and praising God, and there was worship going on, but now it's all in ruins, and there's, there's, there's pieces of cement everywhere, and bricks, and, and stones, and everything's broken, and the altar's broken, everything's a mess, and there's cobwebs everywhere, dust everywhere, there's just, there's just a complete mess in the house of God, and maybe they're talking about, man, this place used to be a sight to see. Man, in the glory days, man, this thing was, this thing was probably amazing. Maybe they're excited for the new changes because Josiah's starting to make changes. We're going to get back. We're, oh man, this, this, this house of God, this, it, we're going to get back to where, where it was supposed to, to be. And, and, and I can imagine Hilkiah is actually walking around and maybe kicking some stuff over and, and, and picking, picking some stuff, maybe moving some furniture and trying to uh, kind of get some things in order. And he walks over and he goes, no way. No, this can't. This can't be. Hey, Shaffin! Sha Shaffin, I think I found something. 
yeah, I think this, I think this is, I think this is the, the, this is the Torah. This is the five books of Moses. This is the word of God. Look what I found. Like, like, like this has been lost in the house of God for so, look at this. The word of God was lost in the house of God. No wonder the temple wasn't functioning like it was supposed to. No wonder it wasn't operating at its full capacity. So many times, I don't know about you, but some of our Bibles look like that. They've been lying in the corner for so long. They, they look nice on the, on the, on the uh, 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 coffee table and they look pretty there, but they're collecting dust and they're not being read. And then we wonder why the house of God, the temple of God is not functioning like it's supposed to. We wonder why we're not operating like God's called us to operate. I mean, this is the instruction manual written by the designer who designed us and knows how we're supposed to function. How would we not go to it? How would we not address it and be like, man, how am I supposed to run my life? How am I supposed to be a, a dad? How am I supposed to be a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister? It's all in here. And then we wonder why our temples in ruins and I mean, I don't even get that. Like, how is the word of God lost in the house of God, like in those days? Like, how is that even possible? How did this happen? The book of Deuteronomy actually says that every single king was supposed to write their own copy of the Torah. But somehow, a hundred years went by, and this thing was lost in the house of God. So no one has read this thing in a hundred years or so. At some point, someone got casual with it. And it had long-term impact and cost Israel a hundred years of the temple being out of order, the kingdom being out of order, the people being out of order. And it cost them more than they should have afforded. It was obviously a first day. It was lost, right? What did that day look like? Maybe the king was busy, had a round of golf to play. Maybe he went to go see a movie with the kids. Like whatever it was, he had a busy day. And, 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 and this happens in our lives like, oh, one day is not going to be a big deal. And then two days go by and, you know, we're so busy when we wake up in the morning, we got to get the kids to school and we got to do this and we got to do that and we got to run to work. It's funny that the busier we are, the thing that we cut out is the reading time for some reason. As if like, like I've got more to do today, so don't I need more of God? So wouldn't I think, man, let me set my alarm clock a little bit earlier so I got to make sure that I'm spending my time with God. I'm reading his word. I'm in prayer. I'm asking him for advice. I'm asking him for the instructions on how I'm supposed to function. We set ourselves up for ruin. It's a downward spiral. Like the, and the enemy's got nothing but time. He's sitting there. He's waiting. He's just waiting for you to miss one, miss two. And then he slides in your DMs and he slides in your social media and he shows you some things and we get distracted or, or maybe he puts a, a career choice. We get distracted. And then before you know it, the house of God, the temple, this temple is in ruins. The building's out of order. The, the, the ashes have built up and it smothers the fire and it's so subtle and it's so easy and it never just happens overnight. It takes time. But I know we've all been there. I've been there. I've been there. I got three girls. I'm a single dad. I've been there. Mornings get crazy. Gotta get to I've been there. And you think nobody notices. I promise you everyone notices. I mean, the word of God is like food, right? If, if we eat every day, do, like if you don't eat, don't you get hangry? 
People notice. My, my youngest daughter, it is the funniest thing. She, she, she'll start like yelling, she gets real nasty. And I'm like, hey, you need food? She's like, don't ask me if I need food. I'm like, oh, okay. And I give her food and then all of a sudden she's happy. And I'm like, you didn't see what just happened there? <laughs> like, like a demon literally like ran out of her body with the food. Like, that's what happened spiritually. We don't read, we get hangry. And I promise you, everybody knows this and I'm not blowing this out of proportion. Your life has long-term impact whether you think it does or not. I've seen too many Christians, on-fire Christians, lose it. I've seen the fire go out. People that looked like they were going to do some amazing things for God and, and do some pretty incredible things in ministry, and, and, and now they're nowhere, and it's so sad. And, and, and now I talk to some of those people. To this day, like they'll pop back into church, or I'll see them on the street, and they'll remember the glory days. They'll remember when the temple was functioning like it was supposed to, and they're like, oh, remember back then when we were doing this and that, man. And they know, they know. They gotta get back, get back to the word, get back uh, back in prayer and get back, like blow, blow the dust off the thing. It's never too late. If, if there's dust building up, great. Blow it off, open it up and start reading today. There's never a moment where it's like, hey, it's too late, it's over. All right, throw the Bible out. No, crack it open. Start, start something. Stop something. Like start, start waking up every morning and reading your Bible. Stop waking up every morning and going straight to social media. Start believing what he says and stop believing what they say. So that this temple is operating at its best, at its best, constant maintenance, communication with God so that this temple doesn't go out of service and doesn't go out of order and so that things don't cost us more than we can afford. Psalm 119.11 says, I hide thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When there's trouble, it's his word that protects us. When we need direction, we don't know where to go. It's his word that's a light into my path. Every time the devil tried to get Jesus to sin, what did he hit him with? He hit him with the word of God. It, the word of God is our sword that helps us fight the enemy. Did you know in Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the armor of God? Right? 87% of it is for protection. The shield, the boots, the chest plate, the helmet, the belt. It's all defensive. The sword, the word of God, is the only part that helps you fight. It's the only piece that puts us on the offense. How could we put it down? Man, I don't want to be coward in a corner just protecting myself. I want to fight the enemy. I want to attack. I want to make sure I'm taking ground for me and my kids and my family and my calling and my future and my ministry. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God, no word, no faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's a cycle I don't wanna go down. Don't be a casual Christian. Don't let the fire go out. Add wood, take away the ashes. Add wood, take away the ashes. I don't wanna break down. I don't wanna be out of order. I don't wanna be in ruins. I don't wanna be unusual. I don't want my, my, my life and my calling to get cobwebs. I don't want people looking at this temple, looking at Jordan, remembering the glory days, remembering what once was. I want the word of God to be ever present in this house of God. So I'm functioning and operating at my highest performance, doing what I've been called to do and who we, who, being who I've been called to be. And remember, just because Josiah cleaned out the temple and they found the word of God, which was awesome, doesn't mean it's a one-time thing. 
Remember Jesus, now Jesus comes hundreds of years later, Jesus comes into the temple and he's, and he's got to, in three years, three years of ministry, he's got to clean out the temple again because he says, you guys made this place a den of thieves. It's constant maintenance. It's not just a one-time thing. It's, it's not a Sunday thing. It's not, man, let's come up to an altar or let's pray and let's ask God to help us. And it, man, today, man, tomorrow morning, hey, Monday morning, I'm going to read my Bible. But then Tuesday comes. It's everyday commitment. It's add wood, take away the ashes every single morning so that the fire doesn't go out. Worship team, I'm going to ask you to come up and help me. This is kind of a simple reminder, but I actually feel like it's one of the things that are going to save our lives. I've seen, I've seen it too many times where it goes the opposite way. I've seen it in my own life, and we got to be careful. This is a life or death situation, and this is what is going to help us do what we're called to do. We got to protect this thing. We got to read this thing. We got to eat this thing every single day. Listen, I, I said I, I nerd out a little, but I like to look at patterns in the Bible. I like to look at people in the Bible and, and go through some family history. And, and remember, you got Hilkiah the high priest and Shaphan. Uh, Shaphan was the one with Hilkiah the high priest. And when Hilkiah said, look, I found the word of God, Shaphan actually takes that and runs to the king, runs to King Josiah and goes, hey, we found the word of God. And then King Josiah tells Shaphan, hey, grab some guys and Go pray for me. Rips his clothes. He's like, man, I can't believe this thing's been hidden for so long. And Shaphan grabs a couple of guys, including one of his sons, to go pray with them. He had three sons. Ahikam was one of them. That was the one that actually went with Shaphan uh, to go uh, and pray with uh, his dad uh, for the king. But also in Jeremiah 26, 24, it says that people went to kill Jeremiah, the prophet, the man of God, the man with the word of God. It says, but Ahikam supported Jeremiah, so he was not put to death. He had another son, Elisa. Remember that, that great verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, right? Famous, famous verse. Well, Jeremiah writes that to, uh, the Israel, uh, to Israel that were in captivity, and, and Jeremiah writes it and then gives it to somebody to go take it to the people that were in captivity all the way in Babylon. Guess who he gave that letter to? Elisa, son of Shaphan. Had another son, Jemariah, son of Shaphan. This is Jemariah, the prophet is Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote a letter to repent. He sends Baruch to read it. And guess where Baruch read it from? Jemariah's bedroom. The king heard about the word and the, and, and, and the word from God and the king got mad and he begins to burn the letter. He started to cut it up into pieces. Jemariah, risking death, urged the king not to and the king stopped burning the word of God. All three sons. Shaphan had some grandsons. It gets better. Jedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan. When King Nebuchadnezzar took uh, Judah to Babylon, he left this guy as governor over the remnant, a group keeping the Israelites going. The Bible says in the midst of rubble, they had a harvest, an abundant harvest of wine and summer fruit, which Jedaliah led. Micaiah, 
son of Jemariah, son of Shaphan. When he heard a letter of Jeremiah being read, he ran to the officials to tell them the word of the Lord. These guys didn't preach. They didn't prophesy. They didn't have a big platform. But these guys kept the word of God, the man of God, the people of God, the things of God alive and moving forward, even allowing their rooms to be used, hashtag small groups, so the word of God could be brought forth. Whether I'm preaching or not, I want to keep the fire burning. Man, people are hurting. People are hungry. I've got the instruction manual. I have the owner's manual to the temple to help them function and live a life of abundance. Just read the instructions. My parents had a fish. Name was Tallulah. And my mom, my mom and dad were traveling and they, my mom hit me up and she was like, hey son, can you go over to my house and feed the fish? I said, of course. She says, last time you overfed the fish, uh, just make sure it's just one tablet every single day. I'm like, that doesn't sound right. I get to the house, I open up the back door, they're already away. And uh, I walk into the kitchen and there's Tallulah in the fish tank and I see Tallulah do like a couple of flips because she's like Theo Jordan, he's the guy that feeds me, I'm so excited. Like she was, like Tallulah was happy to see me. So I go grab the food and I take one pellet and I put it in the thing and Tallulah like bloop, eats that thing. And then like we had this moment, like Tallulah was looking at me like, I feel like I saw Tallulah cry a little bit. I said, there's no way this is right. I, I grabbed the, the, the fish food and I look at the instructions and it said, feed your fish three pellets three times a day. My mom was starving this fish. If we would just read the instructions. We would be fed, people would be fed, people would be living at their highest capacity, their highest performance level. Like, if we would just read the instructions, everything is right here. Things would happen, stuff would pop off, miracles, signs, and wonders would happen in church. People would get saved, our loved ones, our kids wouldn't be so out of control. Like, our marriages would be better, our, our kids will be better, our finances will be better, our careers will be better. Everything will be better if we would just read the instruction manual. I don't want to be on fire one day and not the other. I don't want to be on fire half the year. I want this thing to be 365 every single year. I want it. To, I want to be an on fire Christian all the time and I don't want no distractions setting up in this temple that are going to cause me to go this way or that way. I want to be so on fire. So I add wood, I take away the ashes, and I believe that because Shaphan lived the way he lived, that his kids lived the way they lived, and their grandkids lived the way they lived, man, I want for years to come, I want my kids living a certain way, and then their kids live in a certain way, and their kids live in a certain way, and when they look back, they go, hey, our great-great-granddad Jordan lived like this, and because of this now, we're living like this. It has long-term impact, whether you think it does or doesn't. So I'm going to start some things, I'm going to stop some things, I'm going to cut some things off at the source, not letting them affect the next generation. So our children won't have to deal with that, to be determined to live a life on fire, that my spiritual life would be high maintenance. So I want to pray for us. 
I want to pray that God would convict us. That God would uh, uh, remind us that the Holy Spirit would be reminding us every single day, every morning that we would get that urge. Like just like when we get that little like that little feeling in our stomach, like we got to eat food in the morning or at lunchtime, like we get those urges like, man, I need to get in my word. Like I got this pit in my stomach. I've been empty. I'm running on empty. And I don't want to run out of gas on this journey called life. I got too much in me. I I know God's got too much for me. God's got too much for my children and their children and their children. Like God's got way too much for us to be breaking down on the side of the road all because of no maintenance. I'm not letting it happen. I am not letting it happen, man. The stakes are too high. So I'd ask you to stand with me. And I wanna pray for you and we could sing a song and. Somebody could come up and close it out, but Father God, I I thank you for this moment. I I thank you for your word of God. I I, I thank you for all the promises that are in your book, all the incredible declarations of faith that you've given us throughout the Bible, all these incredible instructions. You literally tell us how to live. You literally tell me how to be a better dad, how to be a better single man, how to to be a brother, how to be a son, how to be a future husband to someday. Like you, it's all in there. God, I repent. I'm convicted of all the times that I've I've missed your word in the morning. God, I am asking you that you would continue to remind us every single day that we'd have that pit in our stomach and get hungry for the word of God open up your Bible and you would begin to speak to us. Man, so many times we're like, God, I don't know what your will is. Well, just open up his word. His will's in there. We can't say God's silent when we're not opening his word. I mean, that's the communication piece. There's so many times we're going through stuff in our lives, especially because the temple's in ruins. It's just out of order. We're going through some stuff in our lives and we're like, God, where are you? All we got to do is open up that book. I believe God will speak to you every single time, whether it's in the book of Leviticus or the book of 2 Samuel or Romans. Every single book will speak to you and it will scream Jesus. So God, help us. Help us, help us, help us like never before that we would be be uh, readers, we would be studiers, we, we, we would get into the word of God so that we could live at our highest capacity, so that we could, we could live how you've called us to live. Show us the things that we got to start. Show us the things that we got to stop, God. Let us be aggressive about those. Today, cutting those things off, burning those things down, getting rid of those so they don't affect us anymore and they don't affect future generations. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Everybody say amen.